Well, first of all, let me say how glad I am to be here. Uh, I didn't think I was going to make it. I belong now to sunny California, but the sun is on vacation. <laughs> there's a text in the Bible that says there's no sea, there's no sea in heaven. I know. It's all come down in California. <laughs> rain, rain, rain. I thought the airport would be closed, and but I'm here, thank God, and uh, I feel, I feel a little bit as Paul must have felt when he was speaking to a bunch of Timothys. It's a long time since I was in a church where there were so few old people and so many young people. So you lambs, listen to the old shepherd. If you have your Bible, will you please turn to the Epistle to the Ephesians. I sat here this morning listening to the singers, and you know what I thought? With all your boundless enthusiasm, you need me. And with such knowledge as I have, I sure need you. So I think we are going to enjoy these services together. In the epistle sent by Paul to the Ephesians chapter 1, there are two sides of a picture. I asked the pastor what kind of a message I should preach. Should I preach the gospel to sinners or should I preach the gospel to saints? What should I do? And as a result of his advice, I've come with a double barrel shotgun. <laughs> when I pull the left trigger, your heads will go off. And when I pull the other trigger, I don't know what will happen. But in Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 11. <clears throat> in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, we're not hoping to get it. We're not thinking it might come at the end of the journey. We have got it. No fooling. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, further down the chapter, uh, let's see. Well, verse 16. Paul says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. To sum it up, in verse 11 Paul says, Hey you Ephesians, listen, in Christ we have received an inheritance. In verse 18, he says, Hey, you Ephesians, listen. In us, he also should have an inheritance. 
We have ours. He mightn't have his. We're holding on to it. Now, they're the two sides of the picture. I must get at this in my own way. Uh, in my wanderings all over the world, I have met surely millions and millions of people, preached in thousands and thousands of churches. But as in retrospect, I look back over the years, this morning I think of one dear old lady, Mrs. Westerman. She lived in the city of Worcester in England, and a long time ago, when I was a fair-haired kid of 19, I went to preach every night for three weeks in her church. Motors hadn't even been born, and I had to stay somewhere. So the dear old deacons, they put their heads together and decided that I should stay with old Mrs. Westerman. It was safe. She was old enough to be my grandmother. <laughs> I had a ball. I hadn't been there two days before that old girl completely lost her heart to me. I was the best preacher since Paul. Well, to be honest, she wasn't quite so sure about Paul, but she was sure about me. And each night when I really got going, that lady would sit about three rows from the front and her eyes would be like headlights on a car. She sure liked my preaching. A few nights later, we were seated at dinner and she looked across the table and she said, Sir, I am a wealthy woman. I said, so what? Well, I don't have any family. None. I have property in Johannesburg. I have property in Cape Town. I have property all over England. Son, I am loaded. I said, so what? Well, you know what I did today? No. What? I've been down to my attorney, and I've made my last will and testament, and I've left everything to you. I said, honest? <laughs> honest. I don't have any family, so I've left it all to you. Hey, son, could you think I could do anything better with my money than give it to you? I said, no. And that night I didn't sleep. Now listen, what idiot, what idiot would want to go to sleep to dream when he could stay awake all night and dream all he wanted? Boy, I had a ball spending her money all night. <laughs> Three nights later, down in the church, the chairman of the board of deacons looked at me and he said, Young man, how are you getting on with Mrs. Westerman? I said, she's an angel. Uh, yeah, mm. a bit strange, but yeah. And then he came a bit closer and he said, has she left you all her money yet? I said, how do you know? 
And he smiled. Oh, he said, hey, she's loaded. She's really loaded. But she must be an awful nuisance to her attorney because on an average, once a month, she goes down to make a new last will and testament. <laughs> you see, son, we don't have a minister. As a matter of fact, we're looking forward. But every new young man who comes here, Mrs. Westerman goes off the deep end. She loves him. She makes a new will. And, uh, well, has she left all the money to you yet? And my balloon burst. Wait, she had it. She sure did. And mind you, she did make her last will and testament and leave it all to me. But she forgot one thing. She forgot to die in time. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. If only that old girl had died. But she didn't. And I never got a cent. gives color to a text in the epistle to the Hebrews. Now listen. For where a testament is of necessity, there must be the death of the testator. A testament is of force after men are dead. See? She made her last will and testament, but because she didn't die in time, I never got a cent. Now then, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Point one, an inheritance implies that somebody's got it. Your pastor's been speaking eloquently about this building you hope to get. Hey, hey, what do you think, pastor? I could write a, 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 a check this morning for a million dollars, and that will pay all your bills. I know, but I don't have it. <laughs> An inheritance implies that somewhere, somebody has got it. And because he's got it, he can bequeath it to whomsoever he desires. Now then, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, ladies and gentlemen. He had it. All the wealth of the eternal kingdom, all the wealth of a million worlds, he had it. He was rich. Somehow he looked down the corridors of time and he saw us. And somehow he decided in his great heart that what he had, he wished to bequeath it to us. He loved us so much that he made his last will and testament and appointed us to be the beneficiaries of his wealth. Now, you can call it salvation, and you do. You can call it life everlasting. You can give it any name you desire, but glory be to God, he was wealthy. And 
Before the stars shone in the sky, before Bird ever sang a song, he sat down in eternity and he made his will and testament. And in it he said, Glory be to God that whosoever would believe would receive what he had to give. Point one. An inheritance implies somebody's got it. So if we have obtained an inheritance in him, then he sure had it. Point two. It's death that validates the will. Death that validates the will. Mrs. Westerman made her will in my favor, but she didn't die, so the blessed will was useless. Right? It's death that validates the will. And I don't care what God decided in eternity. And I don't care what the divine family said or did. Quite useless. Until he who made the will came down to earth and died for us. And once in his own body, he took our sin to the tree. Once he did it, boy, oh boy, that document became valid. With just one difference, of course. Just one. When I make a will, and I have, of course, I appoint somebody to be my executor or executrix because, boy, I'll be out of action. I'll be gone. And somebody has to have the authority to attend to my estate to do what I want done, right? So I can appoint uh, my wife or my friend. I can even appoint a bank. But somebody has to have the authority to do what's in my will. Well, see, he didn't have to do that, blessed be God, because he rose again to be his own executive. He didn't have to trust any blessed bank or anybody else. He had enough sense to rise again to do his own job. It's death that validates the will. And suddenly, through matchless grace, what was decided in a far-off eternity becomes right in front of me. Three. No inheritance is of any use until it's claimed. Now, my great-great-grandmother, God bless her, might have left me ten million dollars. And it's in a bank in Chattanooga waiting for me. Ten million dollars. And you know I could die on the steps of that bank from starvation. What's the use of having all that money in the bank if I don't have a cent in my pocket? What's the use of owning a million restaurants, a string of them across the country, if I don't have a crumb in my stomach? No inheritance is of any use until it's claimed. Oh, I was, some years ago, the lady here this morning was talking to me about Oxnard, where her daughter is. Next door to Oxnard, there's another place called Ventura. 
and there's a little church in between the two of them, something like this. And some of my friends were there, and they knew I was home. So one of them came up and said, uh, we don't have a pastor, and we know you're tired, and so on, but if only you would come and be our sort of interim pastor until you go away again, we'd love it. And to be honest, I didn't have the heart to say no. So I went down to Oxnard to this little church, preached twice on a Sunday, um, took the Wednesday meeting, and in between did some visiting. Oh man, I see her yet. I was visiting and I went up the path and I pushed my finger on the bell. The door opened and there she was. A lovely, luscious blonde. She took one look. She said, oh, preacher, come on in. I said, that's a good idea. I went in and I sat down and that was it. That woman had been vaccinated with a phonograph needle. She talked and talked and talked and talked and I couldn't turn her off. Man, she was non-stop. So I took a deep breath and I consoled myself by saying, cheer up, Iva. She'd have to stop to breathe in a minute. <laughs> I can see her right now. She said, oh, preacher, preacher, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful to listen to you, blah, blah, blah. My daddy was a minister. I was brought up in the parsonage. I sang in the choir. I was ta I ta taught a Sunday school class. I was the leader of the young people. Whew, on she went. I'm a good prophet. She had to breathe. <laughs> Suddenly she stopped. <coughs> Boy, I was in. I said, hey. Did you ever hear of Noah? She said, what? I said, do you ever hear of Noah who built the ark? She said, sure. I said, you know, he couldn't have done that by himself. Uh-uh. Built a big ship like that, there had to be a floating zoo. He must have had carpenters to help him. I suppose so. Never thought about it, but I guess so. I said, I don't know whether they got paid a time and a half for working weekends. I don't know, but they must have helped him and they worked hard to make that ship. She said, what are you getting at? I said, it's funny, you know, all those men, they must have worked so hard that not one of them sailed on the vessel when she went. Only Noah and his family. None of the carpenters, none of the workmen sailed. She said, what are you getting at? Well, I said, it seems to me you're like those carpenters. Your daddy was a minister, brought up in the parsonage. You can quote the Bible. You taught the Sunday school class. You sang in the choir, blah, 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 blah. You sure worked hard making God's ship of salvation. But lady, I'm more concerned if you'll be on board when she sails. And suddenly the balloon burst. The tears started to run. And she sobbed. And I waited. And by and by she looked up and between her tears she said, you were so different from the rest of them. I said, how come? Well, she said, my husband was transferred to Oxnard with his work. 
And she said, we've been going around all the churches because we wanted to find a church where we could make our home. And all the ministers in Oxnard, knowing that we were visitors, they've all been to see us. They've asked uh, what books we read, what movies we like. They've asked questions about every kind of thing, but none of them ever asked if we were saved until you came. You were so different. Oh, preacher, and the tears were rolling again. I'm so thankful to be able to tell you that my daddy's savior is my savior. I'm so thankful to be able to tell you that when the Lord comes, I'll be going. You know, I sat in the plane yesterday, and I was tired. I really was tired. And uh, there was an empty seat, and there was a... a a gentleman, dark skin, and the little boy said, talk to him. Ah, Lord, I'm tired. I want to shut my eyes. Talk to him. And, you know, I, I didn't have enough peace to sleep. So at last I turned around and I talked to him and he was anxious to talk to. And by and by, you know, uh, I said, what's your job? He said, I'm a foot specialist. I'm a surgeon, a doctor. Well, I said, that's interesting. I'm a doctor too, and he's the doctor of divinity. I'm a doctor of the soul, and you're a doctor of the body. I went on to say that the, his was a great job. He could help a man all the way to a coffin. But I knew another doctor who could help a man all the way to the coffin and after the funeral and all through eternity. And he smiled and he said, Oh, that's good. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I said, Hey, boy, that's my language. And he said, My, my, my wife so loves the Lord, she's in college training to be a minister. You meet them everywhere. You see, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm talking now not to that doctor, I'm talking to you. You can come to a church like this. You can dot the I's and cross the T's. You know about the stories of the Bible. What's the use of having it all in your head if your heart is bankrupt? No inheritance is of any use until it's claimed. You may have been sitting on the bank steps pondering all this but I ask you in God's name one simple pointed question did you ever go and stand at the counter and say God I don't know much about it but they tell me that there was one who loved me so much that he deposited in this bank all that my guilty soul would ever need his wonderful name Jesus it's my inheritance, and I come as the poor needy sinner to ask for what he provided. Ladies and gentlemen, honest before God, did you ever take Christ as your Savior? Were you ever saved by God's matchless grace? If not, you're just a poor stupid fool. You're knowing so much, and you're dying in the dark. If that hurts, good. I don't know, I don't know any other way to preach. 
I'm a surgeon, but I don't use anesthetics. <laughs> Your inheritance is any good until it's claimed. You may know about it, but is it yours? In Christ, says Paul, we have obtained an inheritance. Can you say amen to that? All right. Take it. Turn it over back to front. And Paul says, Oh, sure, sure, Ephesians, you know what I'm driving at. You know about the merits of the precious blood of Jesus. You know about his death. Of course you know about our inheritance without money, without Christ. It is ours in him. I don't even know if you Ephesians will understand now what I'm getting at. So I'm praying day and night that your eyes will be opened. I want you to see it. You don't see it yet. Every time you did. Hey, Paul, what are you driving at? Well, see, we have obtained an inheritance in Christ. Glory be to God, yes. What else? Just as we have an inheritance in him, he should have one in us. And I don't know if you understand it. Or you can shout glory be to God, hallelujah, with the first part. But I don't even know if you'll understand this. That just as we have something in him, he should have something in us. Point one. Same thing. An inheritance implies somebody's got it. If he is ever to have an inheritance in us, well, before we can bequeath it to him, we must have it. What do we have that could be his if we loved him enough? If we could in life make our last will and testament, what do we have that we could give to him? I've been in Bethany many times. I'm talking about Israel. Every time I go to Bethany, I stand and I look around and I wonder where Martha, Mary and Lazarus lived. Customs have changed somewhat, but the hills are the same. And I always ask, was it over there or there? I don't know. But I tell you what I do know, ladies. You had a sister. Her name was Mary. And she, boy, she had something. She sure did. She had a box of precious ointment. We don't know how she got it. Did she save up her money and buy it? Did some would-be husband give it to her as a present? Did her sister and brother give it to her? We don't know, but she had it. The best thing in her world. Ointment of spikenard from India, very costly. One night she was down in the home of Simon the leper and she looked at the Lord and she looked at the disciples and she thought these stupid men, they have cataracts on their eyes or they can see it's a kingdom, a kingdom, a kingdom and my master's going to die and I don't want to wait to put flowers on his casket. What I have to give, I want to give him now. She said, Lord, will you excuse me? He said, of course. She ran up the street into her bedroom, pulled out the drawer, got it, went back and she gave that box of ointment to Jesus. 
and the ointment, the perfume slipped under the door and across the street and down to the sea and over the ocean, and it reached the whole world. And Jesus said there'll never be a place where the gospel's preached, but what they'll hear about this woman giving this to me. She's done it for my burial. Every time I stand in the garden and have a communion service just outside the tomb where the Lord was buried, and that's been many times, I think of Joseph of Arimathea who had carved out of the solid rock a sepulchre for his family. And when he heard the Lord didn't have a tomb, he said he can have mine. Every time I think of Timothy, I remember what Paul said, Son, you've known the scriptures since you were a little boy. You didn't wait until you were on social security. You've given you youth, your middle age, and everything to Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, honest to God, what do we have that we could give to him if we would? Do you have a son or a daughter? And if the Lord called that child to some dirty, stinking place in Central Africa, would you squawk, or would you say, thank God, Lord, you can have my child? You've made your plans, maybe, for all contingencies that might or might not arise. Everything's mapped out, and if the Lord came and upset the whole lot, would you squawk? Amongst the few older ones, is there a man or a woman here? And you're thinking, now, oh, dear God, if I had a son and God called him to the ministry, I'd be thrilled to bits. Sure, you don't have a son. It's easy to say it. Do you have enough money in the bank that if you ballpoint pen would work, you could write a check for enough money to train ten boys and you wouldn't even miss a cent. You've got so much. What do I have that could be his inheritance? Number two, it's death that validates the will. Same thing. I can come into a red-hot, glory-be-to-God, hallelujah kind of a meeting, get swept off my feet, and I'm going to ups turn the world upside down. I make all the promises in the world, and it's just hot air because by Wednesday I think differently. It's not the making of a vow that matters, it's the death of the saints that matters. You know, when we first came to America, we'd never seen a supermarket. Never. Overseas, just little, little stores. And you went in, my wife would win, and the man would say, Ah, Mrs. Powell, how are you? What can I get? What can I get? And my carried around the place. When my wife came to America and went into a supermarket, she thought she'd gotten into the millennium. <laughs> Help yourself! <laughs> oh, boy. I used to say, Betty, how long will it be? Oh, 40 minutes. I said, are you sure? 40 minutes? I'd go back in an hour's time and I'd only have 20 minutes to wait. <laughs> you know, you, you ladies, you're all the same. Descendants of Eve. My wife would get all she wanted and then she'd think, now let me see, I wonder if there's anything on special. And before she came out, she walked five miles. 
And she'd come out with a shopping cart and she'd say, there my coupons, I must dance, oh boy. And then it was my turn. And all I had to do was wheel that wretched shopping cart to my, my car. You know they all have a built-in resistance. <laughs> that stupid shopping cart. All I had to do was go straight to my car. Not in your life. I'd go yard and yank it back. And I'd go another yard and you go the other way. I solved the problem, of course. I put it in an angle of 45 degrees. And we went along sideways, both of us, like two crabs, drunk. <laughs> One day I thought, Ivor, that's just like you, boy. You know exactly where you want to go. But you go a couple of yards, whoop, and the Lord jacks you back. And you go a few more yards, and by Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, you're so far off the track, it's unbelievable. One of our poets in World War One, as he sat in the mud amidst the hell in Flanders, France, he put it beautifully. The language is his, not mine. The summit that pulls us up. The summit that pulls us down. And the consequence is that we wobble twixt muck and a golden crown. Do you know, lady, with all your hallelujahs and glory be to God, and I love to hear it, there's a part of you, give it a half a chance and it'll strangle you, drag you down to hell. Do you know, young man, in spite of all your enthusiasm, and God bless you, you once take your eyes off Jesus and you'll discover there's another old you in there that'll kill you. And it's no use making your vows to God unless you die. That's what Paul meant when he said, I'm crucified with Christ and yet I live and yet I don't. It's Christ who liveth in me. And almost realizing maybe he did what, realized what people would say. He said, don't stand up and say, glory be to God, I died 25 years ago. I was crucified with Christ. No, no, says Paul, I die daily. Do you know you can, hey fella, do you know you can get up in the morning and start beautifully? Before 11 o'clock, the old devil can put a torpedo into you that will blast you to bits. Do you know you can go out underneath the blue skies and you can praise the dear Lord for all the blessings. I have been blessed. You take your eyes off Christ. And you can land up to your knees in muck. It's not what I believe in my head. It's what takes place in my soul that validates the will. When I can take this old Ivor power and nail him to a cross. And once I die, then it's possible for Christ to obtain his inheritance. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what time it is. I... I always run out of time, but never out of gas. Point three, the only difference. An inheritance claimed can be used. A million dollars in the bank for Ivor Powell, no good unless I've got it. Once I've got it, look out, right? Ah. Uh, I was seated in my office in California thinking about this and I started talking to myself. Do you ever do that? 
They say it's the first signs of insanity. I can't think of a nicer way of going mad. I was thinking about this, and I said, Iva, supposing an attorney came up to the office with the news that somebody had died and left you a million, what would you do? I said, well, if somebody died and left me a million, the first thing I'd do would be to disconnect my telephone. Because if the news got out by lunchtime, I'd have a thousand cousins I didn't know existed. I never got any further. It hit me like a sledgehammer. Not what I would do if I had a thousand or a million dollars. What would Christ be able to do if he could have his inheritance in us? I never got any further. Quickly, quickly, and I'm cutting a lot out. The big hospital in Denver, Colorado. A 14-year-old girl dying. Ladies, you'll understand. In the process of growing up, she couldn't retain blood. The account seems fantastic, but this is what they told me. They'd given her 3,000 blood transfusions in a desperate effort to keep her alive, but they failed. 14 years of age and dying, and as happy as the day was long. A medical congress was being held in that hospital. They heard about the girl they sent for her. She came in, they questioned her, and she talked them into the ground. The president said, young lady, there's no need to beat about the bush because if we, what we have heard is true, you, you know you're dying. She said, oh yes, I'm going home to heaven soon. Well, he said, you know, we'd love, if, if, if you're willing, we'd love to ask you some questions because maybe you will help us with your answers and we'll be able to do something for other young ladies who might be in your, your position someday. She said, of course. They asked questions about symptoms, when it started, everything. And you know that kid talked them into the ground and at last they only stared at her. All Denver knew about her, 14 years of age and dying. They took her back into the ward and her daddy was sitting there. I have never had any children and perhaps it's a good job because I'd be a rotten daddy if I were in this man's place. He was there and she said, Daddy, I, I, I'm going to be with Jesus. Don't cry, Daddy, because I'm happy. Ah, Dad, this old body's no good. I know it, the doctors know it, and you know it. Don't cry. But I want to ask you a very special favor, Daddy. Promise? No, she, she said, Daddy, wait a minute. This is important. I want to ask you to do something for me after I'm dead. What? Daddy. My body's no good. Hey, Dad, but my eyes are. And after I'm gone to be with Jesus, I... See, Daddy, I'm going to have a new body. I want you to give the surgeon permission to take out my eyes and give them to somebody who's blind. Promise, Dad? You know, ladies and gentlemen, and there are many young ladies here, 
You know, there's somebody, and the only thing I don't know, one or two, I don't know. Let me say one. Let me assume one person had both eyes. I don't know. Maybe two have, were held. But you know there's somebody in America today who can see the glory of a sunrise. There's somebody who can look into the heart of a flower and see the face of God. Not two eyes. And she made her will and testament, but it was no good until she died. Once she died, her wishes were carried out, and somebody who was in the dark is now in the sunshine. In Christ, we have an inheritance. In us, he also should have an inheritance. What you have to give to Jesus this morning, your life, your soul, your love, your talents, that's the challenge. Do you think enough of the Son of God to come lay your life at his feet? Let's sing. What's the number, brother? Again? Eighty-one. The hymn number eighty-one. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I don't know how you do it but we stand and I'm going to ask the pastor I don't know if this ever been done before but this is how I do it I would like the pastor to come and stand here maybe there are counselors as well I don't know but if there's any man or woman here in this service and in your heart you feel like giving yourself to Christ to make a start or to make a new start. Your life for the Son of God. Can you leave your seat and come forward? There's an old-fashioned altar here. Do what you like. You can kneel down, you can stand up, do what you like. When the service is over, I'd be thrilled to bits to be able to talk to you for a few moments. But that's the question. Do you think enough of the Savior to give yourself to him? If so, can you come forward as we sing, Just as I am, I come. moment because I don't have another hymn and another hymn and keep you here till one o'clock. If the Holy Spirit hasn't plowed up your heart, I'd be a fool to keep on pastoring you. If you feel in your soul that you want to give your life to Christ, or if you feel backslider that you need to come and make a new start, or whatever, you know you'll feel the tug in your, in, in your soul. You know 
Put your head down and pray. And simply say, please, God, help me. Why should I be ashamed? Push your way out of the seat and come. Shake the pastor's hand. If you bring your hymn book, you can stand in front of these empty seats facing the pulpit. We're all on our feet. You can stay on your feet and sing with us. But if you're coming, you have two verses in which to do it. If you have friends or family, bring them for company. Second verse. started to move only once more the last verse if you're coming there'll be no more extension if you're coming now is the time to move verse 3 just as preaching a long time, 62 years, and I've lived long enough to find out that there are many decisions recorded in human hearts that are not evidenced by coming forward. I have a feeling that you share my convictions. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better witness for Jesus. I want to go out into that world and let my light shine. And I feel you share that. So, the Lord abundantly bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we feel so guilty because there's much that we could have given to thee, but we held on to it. We could have witnessed, but we were scared or ashamed. We could have given, but we were stingy, and we're not thinking only of money. All that we have and are, we owe to the Lord. Forgive us if we've let you down. And send us out this day to live for the Savior wholeheartedly. Make us fruitful witnesses. Bless those who have responded and imprint 
locked upon their hearts all that they have heard. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be ours, oh, not only today, but until the day dawns and the shadows flee away forever, until we stand in his presence, until we see his lovely face. Amen. <laughs>